In the Lab, a Texans podcast that takes a different look at things. Drew Doherty and John Harris have their lab coats and goggles on and the Bunsen burners burning. Here's Drew. That's right, in the lab, up in your face. How's it going? Drew Doherty here with my good pal, John Harris. Cuts. Here's the table of contents. We're going to talk about not surprising cuts, but direction of this team type cuts. We're going to also discuss some hidden parts of the Ross Blacklock deal. Okay. And then Elvis. Okay. The movie. Yes. Okay, so I didn't really get surprised, and you and I chit-chatted about this offline on text Mm -hmm. yesterday. I didn't really get too surprised by any of these roster moves. Really not. Clint Sterner, I thought, to give him full credit, Yes. in the post-game show after the final preseason game, brought up the idea that he thought Marlon Mack was probably going to be cut. And initially I said, what? Clint, what? In my mind, on the ride home. But he laid it out very, very clearly. Saying. The reasons. Basically saying he's coming off an injury. Mm -hmm. He's a veteran. He's probably going to be more expensive than the other options you have at that position. And he wasn't doing it. Like he wasn't saying like, oh, Marlon Mack is awful. Blah, right, blah, blah. right, right, right. He's just saying, of yeah. that group, yeah. he's probably going to be the odd man out. So right. he, uh, I think that's the best way to putting it of putting it odd man out, odd man out yeah. because, and, and that was the only real surprise. The only the only two which you and I we do fifty three man rosters all the time. We're always trying to figure out who's going to be on the fifty three man roster, all that kind of stuff. And the really the only two things that I didn't have was I had I had. Uh, Brooks over Stewart at safety, mm-hmm. and then and then Marlon Mack. That was that was it. Other than that, it was all pretty much the roster revealed itself, as as Nick Casario likes to say. Hey, the roster will reveal itself. Lovey Smith mentioned it at his press conference, and it really yeah, did. Yeah, Lovey said that a few it, times. It really, paraphrasing, it, yeah. but and essentially, yeah, essentially the point being that guys will water will find its level. Guys will find their natural spot, or they'll fade. Or they'll shine, whatever. They've got plenty of time. They got three preseason games. They got a full month of training camp. They will shine or they won't, and it'll be pretty evident. The Marlon Mack one was the one that I was like, hmm. Now, I have seen some reports that they're planning on bringing him back on practice squad, which would be really cool mm-hmm. to give him that opportunity to have him here. And again, we've said this, Mark and I have said this, you and I have talked about this, the fact that a 53-man roster is – not set in stone. You don't go over there and chisel it out of the marble and right. be like, this is the... F-. No, that thing changes. That thing's written in pencil. And him coming back is probably... I'm guessing there's some massa- like massaging of contracts. That Potentially, goes, that goes yes. In there. Like if he's Potentially, on, yes. If he's there week one, it costs a whole lot more. You know, this is just something that I'm throwing out there. I, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. imagine that's that could go into it. And that's why you might see guys, like you're talking about... This is such a fluid process. You might see guys get added right after that first game well, or, you know, later. You remember that happened to uh, John Weeks last year. Uh-huh. It happened with Weeksy last year where he was, quote-unquote, released. Mm-hmm. And it was some procedural thing that they had to get to 53, and they told him, look, it's procedural, we'll bring you back. And I think when everybody first saw it, they were like, <gasps> John Weeks. And then when the following reports came out that, okay, look, this is a procedural thing. He's coming back. There's no No worries. But he relax, and that's maybe that happens with with Marlon here. Who, who's to say? But the um, the thought being, the fifty three man roster came together about like we expected, which I don't know, good or bad, but 
it was sort of evident this training camp. It didn't seem like there were a ton of secrets or surprises. Mm-hmm. So they got to the 53-man roster that they'll start the year with as of whatever today is when you're listening, and then they'll go forth. There might be a player added. There might be a couple added. There might be a couple moved. You know, throughout the season that'll happen because of injuries and movement and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if we'll have a Danny Amendola, but we didn't know that we were going to have a Danny Amendola last year. No, not until basically this week. But, yeah, you know, about or, this or, next week. Yeah, like over the weekend, it seems right. like a Labor Day uh, signing. Okay, now if you listen to this podcast, you know from this last spring, a few times I mentioned how John and I love doing the mock draft simulators on places like pff.com yeah, or yeah. the draft network. There's, Those are two of the better ones, I think. And so doing that at least three, four times a week for a, a, a few months, I got to know a little bit more about the running backs class yeah. that we just saw get drafted. And now we've seen some guys get cut that when I picked them in the mm-hmm. sixth, seventh round, I was given an A-plus grade because I picked these guys. Yes. And boy... There's some there's some guys out there that are at least some of these sites thought very, very highly of yeah. that didn't wind up getting drafted, but they went to camp with some teams. Right. Now they're gone. Any chance some of them stick, perhaps, with the Texans, or do you think it's it's kind of gonna be one of those things where we're gonna roll the Texans are gonna roll with what they have now, maybe like you say, bring Mac back, or do you think there is a chance that uh some young blood could be brought in? I or, absolutely think there's there's an opportunity for young blood to come in look every player that you maybe that you released is not or or waived or whatever the case might be is not going to come back on practice squad of those maybe you get 12 11 i mean who knows what the number is there's going to be opportunity in worst case this is what the practice squad now does is it allows you to look at players and go you know what Mm, we're going to leave the 53 man roster where it is but what we're going to do is take this cat and put him on practice squad and let him get in the building and let him meet the coaches and let him show us a few things out in the field. And I think running back is one of those positions that you could do that with and feel comfortable. I always felt like offensive line, defensive line is kind of tough because you want to see how physical are they, you know, how are their hands, how they move, you know, some of that stuff that you'd like to see with pads on. You're not going to have that opportunity. But a running back, yeah, you may not see exactly all the vision, but can he catch the ball in the backfield? How does he hit the hole? How quick does he hit the hole? And then, obviously, all the things that go around off the field. How is he in meeting rooms? How is he with the coaching staff? How quickly does he learn? How quickly does he retain? All that kind of stuff. You could, I think, see it in a running back and bring a guy and put him on practice squad and say, look, you'll have an opportunity down the road. Mm-hmm. Let's see what, what you're going to do with that opportunity. And at that point, you don't cut somebody from the 53-man roster. You don't have to make that decision. But you realize you got two or three spots on practice squad, and your draft room, like that particular back or like that particular you know weapon X or whatever he is, hey, let's take a flyer on him. He's out and available. They've probably had some feelers out there and probably through the draft process. If they liked him in the draft process, they probably talked to him during that process, at some point, a scout, uh, James Lipford, maybe all the way up to Nick, oh, there's talk no to that question. player. Yeah. So they've had the communication these with guys. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, have some college. good intel. Exactly. Now it's just jiving with what you've seen from right. and heard of what he's been doing since May with that new team. Right. And, you know, there are so many players over the history of time, whether it's running back or whatever, 
that they weren't drafted, they didn't stick for whatever reason. Coaching change, coaches couldn't see how to use that player, they didn't find the right fit. The player that always comes to mind for me is James Harrison. Debo was cut, I think, three or four times by the Steelers. They just couldn't figure out what to do with him. And he, they finally were like, you know what, let's just let's keep this guy around. Let's see what he does with special teams. And then that turned into, well, you know what, he does pretty well on special teams. He doesn't look like a pass rusher, but you know, in practice, he keeps getting the pass r- to the quarterback. Let's put him <laughs> out there. Man, he's pretty good. Let's play him all the time. Oh, yeah, he's really, really good. Let's make him a Pro Bowl or All Pro. And that's, you know, a guy that could potentially go to the Hall of Fame at some point. That was a guy that people just didn't know how to use and what to do with him. And they finally figured it out. And maybe that happens for, for a number of guys. And maybe it happens for some of these guys that get waived and released. So I'm, I'm always willing to take a shot on a guy. If I saw something in college that I like, heck yeah, I'd take a shot at him. I think Tyler Batty was a guy from Missouri who I think was at the Ravens, if I remember. Now, he's not a big dude. He is not a big dude. He's 5'7", but he is tough as a $2 steak, man. He will run inside, but he can catch the ball out of the backfield. He's a tough He's a tough little guy. Is that a guy you want to take and maybe try and develop into a third down back? Sort of a, if you go in the Texans way back machine, remember uh, Akeem Hunt, right? I do, yeah. Akeem Hunt? That was kind of Tyler Batty, and that guy gave you, a—I mean, some of the most memorable plays of, of 15 and 16 Akeem Hunt did. So you had a player like that, you know, who's to say? But you just want to make sure that whoever you're putting on that practice squad, you feel like, okay, we can, A, develop this guy over time, or B, this is a guy that at some point we foresee playing on this roster in 2022, or C, both. Yeah, I'm cool with it. Uh, I also like Zaquandre White. Oh, that's, that's yeah. That's a story for, for another time. Okay, Ross Blacklock has been dealt yep. to the Vikings. We've seen the reports. He goes along with a seventh-round pick, and in return, the Texans get back a sixth. So that means the Texans now have four sixth-rounders. Mm-hmm. They don't have a seventh-rounder because that's theirs that got dealt to Minnesota. Right. They they got a seventh-round conditional pick back when they traded cornerback John Reed a year or so ago. Right. But – the day that he got cut before the season started, nixed that deal. So he got cut. They right. brought him back. He did play, I think, six-plus games. Doesn't matter. But it wasn't enough. Yeah. Texans are not getting that pick. So if you see that listed out there, that's not correct. And John Reed did make the Seahawks this year, by the way. Well, he made the initial 53-man roster. Good for John. Yeah, I, mean, I, exactly. I like John when he was here. Uh, exactly. It just didn't work out here. So the Texans have four sixths, two ones, two threes, and a two, four, and five. That's 11 picks total in 2023 we know they're not going to take 11 players no. a lot of those picks are going to get dealt right many of them will be dealt the week of the the weekend of the draft but lots and lots and lots of ammo right now for nick casario and company and no ammo in the seventh which i think they like because they don't have to dicker around right. with that and right. they can start working on undrafted yeah. free agents negotiating with them, saying, hey, uh, you got a spot here for competition. We think we could use you. Right. They get a head start on things. So that's, I think, an underrated little aspect of this deal. Uh, in addition to getting compensation for a guy that might have been on the chopping block. Yeah. You, know, you might have had to just cut him. I mean, you get something. You essentially. You move up in the draft. You essentially pick swap yeah. is what you did. You're like, hey, we're going to move up to six. You guys move down to seven. And you'll get a guy that we really felt like had run its course here in Houston. That's unfortunate because I, I loved Ross yeah. as a human being. He was just a sweet, 
teddy bear of a man. I went to Mexico with the guy. Yeah, I mean, he was He's just awesome. A, yeah, just a really good, good dude. Amongst the D-line, again, the roster reveals itself to you. It was pretty clear, and I watched every single rep of one-on-one live, and I watched every single rep of one-on-one and inside drill on film, every single one. So I saw everything in training camp at least at least three or four times. It was clear the 10 guys that should have been kept. If they yeah. were keeping 10 or 9 or what I can't remember what the number is, I think it's 10. Those were the 10. If you said, give me the 10, that's the 10. I worried about 9 because I worried about having to make a decision between Dom Four and Heinish. And I felt like both of them deserved it. I felt like Heinish was probably a hair ahead of what Dwarm Four gave them. But man, Dwarm Four was, he was coming. And when you think about having that position, essentially the position Roy plays, there are two interior defensive positions. One is the three technique, a little bit quicker. That's Malik, a little bit quicker, a little bit lighter, but a guy that is, is there to create havoc up the field. So that was what hopefully they wanted Ross to be. But that never came to fruition. But you have some guys that can play that spot. Ross can play that spot. Rasheem Green can go inside and play that spot. Thomas Booker can play that spot, but he can also play the other spot, which is a nose tackle spot. That's Roy. That's Heinish. That's um, sometimes Booker. Booker can play both, which is nice. And then you have Dwumfor who can play that spot. And I think and I think uh, that Dwumfor can play both those spots too because he is pretty quick. Um, and, and, and small point that we need to point – small thing we got to point out right now. We've heard all about flexibility and how valuable that is. And, yes, it is nice to have guys who can play multiple. But these guys can do things at each of these spots, like excel at each of these spots, not just play and give you the league average. But they've got got ways that they can make plays as an outside guy, make plays on the interior. And that's so very attractive. That's so very tantalizing right now and something I'm very, very excited about. The V word became kind of a bad word, versatility, during the Bill O'Brien era because it would be the first thing out of Bill's mouth. And, oh, he's versatile. And what ended up happening was people would hear, oh, he's versatile, and then watch him go to those multiple spots and not play well and think, oh, versatility is a sham. No, versatility is hugely important. Mm -hmm. But the key is, like you just said, Drew, you got to be able to play both spots. You can't just line up there. Oh, that's that's not versatility. Versatility is being able to line up and be productive at multiple spots. So the D line uh, got it right. You you bring up a good point though about the getting the undrafted signees, getting that process going. I mean, right now at the initial fifty three man roster, you're looking at Kurt Heinisch, you're looking at Jake Hansen, um, uh, Troy Hairston, three guys that you have on the initial 53-man roster that came from the undrafted process. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that you wouldn't have gotten them if you would have waited till the very last pick and, and and to really kind of move that process along. But if you get a if you get a jump start and and the other thing is if you had a seventh round pick, maybe you pick one of those guys. So it becomes a drafted pick. Either way, you got them through the undrafted process because 256 picks went by or whatever it was, and those guys didn't get picked. But you brought him here. You converted Harrison to fullback. That's been a good move. Kurt Heinisch has been, I think, a great signing. And, and Jake Hansen, I was curious. I really liked him at Illinois, but when he didn't play in 2021, he's off the radar screen. Like, how bad is the injury? You never made, know how guys are going to come back. Made plays this August. Dude, he came back in preseason, and you could he can fly. Mm-hmm. He can abs- That is one thing about every single linebacker on this defense. They can all run. 
And Hanson is a perfect example of that. Oh, by the way, the last two years with Lovey in 19 and 20, at Illinois, his last two full years in college, he led the nation in takeaways combined for those two years. Combined. Lovey, Lovey loves takeaways. Absolutely. I mean, I love takeaways, too. We all do. So, yeah, it's, to get that undrafted process, to see three guys on the initial 53-man roster, we don't know how that's going to shake out over the next two days, week, month, whatever, but you at least know you found some value there. And it, if anything, if anything – you can bring those guys back, or you hope to bring those guys back on a practice squad. I don't know if you can after what those three were able to do, but yeah. you'd, you'd want to be able to try that if you have to. So uh, it's a it's such an interesting process to me, Drew, just how you know guys that go to practice squad. I wish the NFL would just allow teams to not cut a guy, but to say, you know, we're just going to take you straight to practice squad. Right. Like, we don't subject them to waivers. You know, if you want to subject guys to waivers – Fine, but you know these six guys are locked, guaranteed practice squad. We're not cutting you; we're just moving you to practice squad. And then you could have the others. Hey, we're gonna we're gonna release you and put you on the waiver process and see what happens. But that'd be my that that would be my change to the whole thing. Lock up half the practice squad with the eight guys you want. Let the other eight guys subject them to the waiver process and see what happens. And then if you can bring them back, great. If not. I don't know. It just feels so risky. I don't know. I just that's the one part I don't like. Well, I'll say this. You know what I like? If Tim Jamison's listening to this podcast about two minutes ago, he was shaking his head and smiling because our good pal Tim Jamison, he yeah. played for this team for six years. Yep. He was an undrafted rookie in two thousand nine. And I think early October, end of September, he was the first guy that got called up from the practice squad, yeah. got his fifty three man roster spot. He was uh, he made it that year before Arian Foster did. So yep. Arian's probably uh, talking pterodactyl instead of listening to this podcast. Yeah, maybe Tim is listening to this podcast. That's true. Thank I don't you, know. Tim. Do we do we translate that to pterodactyl so I, Aaron can I, listen? I don't know. Either yeah. way. By the way, did you see on a totally related but unrelated note who made the roster in Atlanta as an undrafted free agent rookie? Man, I did. Our good pal. You're better friends with him, but uh, he. Jim Bernhardt was here for a little bit. Yep. He came with Bill O'Brien in 14. And I think he was here about two seasons, three seasons. Three maybe. seasons, yeah. I think, yeah. And he quickly became somebody that I had always enjoyed talking to. Yeah. When I went on the air for the first time as the sideline reporter for preseason TV, I was in Arizona. Mm -hmm. I was nervous. Been nervous pretty much every time I go on. Yeah. Um, but I was really nervous that one. Right. And before the game, he just kind of came over and just started chit chatting with me. Might have been just random. Maybe he saw I was nervous. I don't know, but he kind of calmed me down yeah. quite a bit. And it was it was the start of a lot of conversations that I would have with the guy. And you you knew him much better than I do because he was at Brown yeah. uh, around the same time as you were. Well, as he a recruited player. me to go to Brown. And so he was just awesome. I uh, love the guy. And he has passed us on and he's he's not with us anymore. Right. Um but his but youngest his boy, man. His youngest, Jared Bernhardt, was a lacrosse all American. And weren't his other sons too? His like, other sons were very, very good. They all, I think, they all went to Maryland. Studs. And so the first two and, got and close Maryland, to in timeout. Going to play lacrosse at Maryland, yeah. is like going to play football for Alabama, Alabama or Auburn or LSU. Right. Or it is an absolute top-notch program. Maryland, Johns Hopkins, traditionally yep. Syracuse, I, like Maryland is. It's crab cakes and, and lacrosse, not yep. crab cakes and football. That's what Maryland does well: is crab cakes and lacrosse. And he was from Florida. Well, they mm -hmm. lived in Florida, but Jimmy Jimmy grew up playing lacrosse and football. 
and his two older sons had played football at Lake Brantley. But they knew they were going to go on and play lacrosse, and they played at Maryland. And they were very good players. But the youngest, they both told me, okay, look, the, the, the youngest, Jared, is the best of the three. I mean, he's phenomenal. And he went as a freshman, and they got the two older brothers got close to winning a national championship in Maryland. But they didn't do it. Jared's first year at Maryland, they won a national championship in mm. lacrosse. He ends up being essentially the Heisman Trophy winner for lacrosse at Maryland in 2021. And time out again. You said he grew up in Florida? Yeah, he grew up in Florida. That's kind of like the best football player in New Hampshire right. or Maine right. coming down to Alabama. Absolutely. Now, correct me if I'm wrong out there, you lacrosse slash football aficionados. I oh, think I know. A I think I know a, a, a bit about the sport. I, I was born in Maryland, yeah, all yeah. my relatives are. But that's not common, man. No, no. Florida lacrosse is no. not as good as Maryland lacrosse and Virginia and, and all that. I mean, no, that's, that was, is remarkable. He was tremendous. And so he had exhausted his lacrosse eligibility. And at that point, he gave thought. He had always told Jimmy, and Jimmy told me, he goes, he wants to play football, but he just knows lacrosse is the meal ticket. And so Jimmy passed away in 2020, I believe it was, or early 2021. I can't remember when it was, 2019 maybe. And I just, he left, he left here in 2017, I think it was. And I just, I mean, I love the guy. I mean, he changed my life. I mean, he, he recruited me and mm -hmm. was my defensive coordinator for three years. And so I love the man. And so we talked on his way out and I asked him about Jared, what Jared was going to do. He's like, oh, you know, he's going to Maryland and, you know, he's going to take, he goes, but he loves football. And so what is the eligibility was exhausted. He decided, you know what? I want to. I want to go play ball. Well, Tavier Thomas's alma mater, Fair State, contacted him and said, "Yeah, come on." He was an option quarterback at Lake Brantley in high school. Hmm. Fair State was running kind of a spread option sort of attack. He goes to Fair State as quarterback and leads them to Division Two national championship. Remarkable. And then he starts. I I read. And the thing was, is I was. I wasn't even paying attention at that point. I just knew Ferris State had won it. So when I saw Tab, I was like, hey, Ferris State. Yeah. I didn't even realize Jared had taken over there. Huh. And then I see he's working out for the draft. He worked out for the Broncos. So he ended up signing with the Falcons. Uh, he has a game-winning touchdown in week one against the Lions. Lo and behold, he ends up making the 53-man roster. As a receiver. As a receiver. It, it's, it's one heck of a story. It's remarkable. And I know that uh, it, you know, Jimmy was so understated. I mean, he, he loved his kids, but he was not one of those that was just going to brag and tell you about it. You know, everything about his kids, but he knew Jared had something. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't think he foresaw this, being lacrosse All-American, basically the Heisman Trophy of lacrosse nationally, and then going to the NFL. I don't think he saw that, but good on Jared Bernhardt for doing that. And I know. I wish Jim... Jim if, the Falcons, if the Falcons ever move on, come on, man. Houston, come on, Jared. You can come, you can come back here. Wish Jim could have seen that. Yeah. Wish, wish Jim could have seen that. Okay, uh, spoiler alert. If you've not seen the Elvis movie that's been out this summer, yeah, turn off the podcast right okay. now. Okay, we're going to give you a countdown. If you have not seen the Elvis movie and you don't want to find out some stuff, turn the podcast off. You have five, four, three, two, one. You and I both saw the movie in Los Angeles Rams weekend, although I watched it in my hotel room. You saw it on the, the big screen. Like I did. A, like a non-animal. Yeah, over uh, Burbank. Yeah, so good for you on that. Mm -hmm. Loved it. I thought that was a great yes. movie. Like, really, really fascinating. I I mean, I knew about Elvis. I know some of his songs. I think his greatest, like, 
I mean, catalog of hits. I personally think his greatest song ever is Blue Christmas. Mm-hmm. I know that's weird, and that's saying quite a bit, but I think it's a tremendous song. Anyways, loved the, the movie, and the biggest takeaway I got from it was, okay, he's the, the king. Right. The biggest ever. Mm-hmm. But he was really limited. Like, the colonel limited him. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah, yeah. Not letting him go international. I, he didn't yes. get to go overseas. Like, think about how much bigger this guy could have been, how much more saturated he could have. He never left to tour after he, I mean, like, to sing out of the country. I mean, and he was he was abroad in Germany, but he wasn't singing over there. He was in the Army. I think the one thing that stood out to me was... Like, that's remarkable, John. Oh, I know. I, I think the one thing that stood out to me was the fact that to to squelch the noise about Elvis Presley and all that he was drumming up because people were so excited to see him. And the the powers that be in, in the South and, and all over the place, just they weren't up for that hip gyration and they yeah. the, they weren't down. I mean, it was I mean, it was a mob scene every time he performed and then they were like, oh, you can't do that. And then he did. And it's it's interesting because at that point, Colonel Parker get, you know, puts him in the military, kind of took him out of sight, out of mind, and it reminded me of what happened to Muhammad Ali. Yeah. You know, Muhammad Ali had to go that, through that same thing on a, on a very similar track. Muhammad Ali is this boisterous champion, and he is a, he's a champion of the people, and obviously he had changed his name to Muhammad Ali, and that created a lot of consternation for the powers that be and what they do. Well, he went to prison. The, well, no, he, he got drafted. And because he got drafted and they wanted him to, to go to Vietnam, to, that, that was essentially his punishment. Yeah. And he said no. And then he, that ended up being this long, protracted court uh, situation, legal situation, and he ended up winning it, eventually being free. But he lost three, four years of the best of Muhammad Ali. And I sat there watching that, what the colonel did to Elvis Presley, and I really got mad. Because I'm like, we lost three to four years of Muhammad Ali. We lost... Three to four years, or maybe, uh, with uh, with Elvis Presley. Well, wait, 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 wait. You're talking about just Elvis's prime, right? Elvis's prime, yeah, yeah, yeah and prime, then, prime. And, but then, the like, prime. Then he's coming back ten years later, and that got chopped off too yes. because he wouldn't let him go international. I know that's wild. And the point being, think of think of the best player. Think of Steph Curry. Yeah. And all of a sudden, right after winning two championships, two years, he's just he's just off the grid and has nothing to do with injuries. Yep. Just taken off the grid for whatever reason. It's a little that's, ex- that's little- what they did, and it just it pissed me off. I'm sorry. It made me so angry because I've always been angry about the years that that Ali lost. Yeah. Like we lost, we lost. Uh, Ali and Frazier fought in '71, and it was huge. But if Ali Frazier had fought in in '69 or '70, it would have been that much better a fight because Ali would have continued to fight for those years. It just made me mad. And in fact, the same thing with Elvis. Here is this this gift to entertainment in so many different ways. And these people sought to to shoot him down. They just I hated. I hated that part of it. But I loved Austin Butler playing Elvis. He was good. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Man, he was so good. He was so incredible. I mean, just watching him, I kept having to tell myself, that's Austin Butler. That's not Elvis. That's Austin Butler. That's not Elvis. He was incredible. He was absolutely incredible. I was so mad at myself that I hadn't taken the time to see it earlier. I wanted to see it. Um, but watching with my daughter was interesting, too, because she's 
she's in that film world now and she yeah. knows some people and she's like, oh, I knew such and such. I worked on Elvis and I know this person and she you know, knows of the director and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, that's was that sh- wild. Was that all shot during COVID? I don't. Was shot in Australia. That oh, I know. Oh, really? It was shot in Australia. How about that? And but I don't know how that all went together. So. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, go see it. It's a good movie if you haven't seen it already. Very good. Um, but we spoiled it for you if you're listening. And anyways, it, it's still good. But just know this: as big as Elvis was, he could have been a whole heck of a lot bigger worldwide. Yep. Anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, John, this was a lot of fun. This is a good long podcast, covered a lot of territory, a lot of ground, and we'll be back again next week to do it. And you know what? When we do it next week, we'll be getting ready for the Indianapolis Colts because week one is on the way. Till then, have a happy Labor Day weekend, and we will see you again and talk with you again very, very soon.